We're back again with the fifth edition of Beauty GPS in the Raw. I'm your navigator, Mary Shook. Today, I'm excited to introduce Victoria Fu and Gloria Liu, two chemical engineers turned L'Oreal skincare formulators, turned social media skincare advocates, turned skincare brand owners. I decided to keep another raw edit with Gloria and Victoria of Chemist Confessions because they had a lot of intel on skincare formulations that I found way too important for you beauty nerds and brand owners to miss. I apologize in advance for the technical issues our live listeners and callers had to endure. Before some of you say it, yes, I know Mercury is in retrograde. Now sit back and enjoy the show. And thanks for listening. I'd like to introduce Victoria Fu, and we've got Gloria Liu that will be on shortly. Welcome to the hot seat. Thank you. Thank you so much for <laughs> inviting us on. We're really excited to be here. Yeah. So you guys are the co-founders of a skincare line uh, called Chem's Confessions. And I brought you onto the show because I love that you guys aren't afraid to bring transparency about your brands or brands in general on Instagram. You're also quoted saying that uh, the industry is just a bunch of smoke and mirrors. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. We just realized that, oh, well, first of all, like Gloria and I, we started out as skincare chemists. So we just believe that it's the market is so oversaturated that it's really difficult now with all of the marketing out there for consumers to find products that fit their skin type. But why why is it that it's saturated but there's nothing for skin? It's just that there's a lot of the marketing tends to overpromise. Um, okay. And so we're trying to find ways for um with things like Dakota IL to find ways for um customers to um, kind of filter through a lot of the noise and a lot of the marketing claims and find products that can actually work for them. Okay, so you're doing a lot of calling out at ingredients and popular brands, and so are are the brands getting pissed off? Like, what's what's been the the feedback? Um. <laughs> well, we. So, okay, so we try to keep, um, you know, the decodes as objective as possible because the goal here is not to um, really shame any brands or anything like that. The goal is to, you know, kind of give our, like, chemist perspective on things and leave it up to users to kind of, like, make that choice for their skin because, you know, as much as we do, you know, series like The Price is Right, you know, to kind of help people you know, figure out if it's worth it or not. Um, ultimately, there's going to be people who absolutely love it. And we always told them at the end of the day, like, if it's been working for your skin, absolutely keep going. Like, there's no, you know, there's this kind of like knee-jerk reaction that's happening when um, people hear from influencers and celebrities rave about products or, you know, hate a product. And then, you know, you're like, oh, my God, like, I'm using the, I've been using the wrong product all the time. You know, and that's simply not true. Like, this is why skincare is so complicated and the market is so saturated is because that, you know, um, every skin, everybody's skin is just so different and reacts so differently. So the goal for us is just simply to kind of like add our chemist take on things. Um, and since we've been like working with the ingredients and, you know, we make all the formulas. Well, and that's the thing. You guys are actually legit chemists and you before started out at L'Oreal, but the thing is, is that, you know, why, why did you all decide to leave L'Oreal, first of all? And then mm -hmm. from there, um, you know, wh what makes the difference between as far as being a chemist and a formulator? Let me, let me first start with those two questions. Sure. Um, so Gloria and I, um, how we met, yeah, we both met at L'Oreal. We were cubicle buddies and, um, <laughs> it just so happened that we both, uh, just we kind of ended up leaving at the same time it wasn't um it wasn't coordinated in any way um you didn't defect <laughs> no we didn't, yeah, we didn't defect together <laughs> um, <laughs> but um you know we we just kind of like felt I think we both had the same feelings of like okay what next you know because as a chemist like we we actually don't get a lot of say in how the formula is made. 
you know, really? because there is, oh, yeah, there's always a marketing agenda, you know, what's trending and what's, you know, what's a niche that you can target, you know? So for us, like we simply build a formula around, you know, the marketing, the marketed ingredient. Um, and then of course, after that, then we oversee kind of like all of the quality checks that happen with that. The other question is, is like, what, what's the difference between like a chemist and a formulator? Because there's a lot of different types of moving parts when it comes to a formula. And I, I myself, I'm a formulator, but the thing is, is I don't build molecules. I don't do that kind of thing. And there's, there's very specific parts to all that. So when people say chemist, what do you mean by chemist? Absolutely. That's a great question. So for Gloria and I, we're formulators. So we um, work with all of the raw material, the raw ingredients, and we figure out a way to put them all into a formula, like a cream, and then uh, uh, make sure that, you know, it holds up in terms of shelf life and, um, you know, uh, like ingredient integrity and integrity, sorry. Um, But then there's, a lot of other types of chemists, you know, there are chemists who actually work in creating some of these like um, skincare active molecules. Um, there's um, chemists who specifically work on, you know, looking into how to better stabilize some of these like skincare actives that we know that aren't so stable, you know, and all of this is like, pr- like proprietary knowledge, like within the company. So there's chemists in all different, uh, I guess there's all different types, um, if that explains it. Well, and that's the thing, because some people had said when I formulated something, they're like, oh, do you want to patent that? I was like, it's not worth patenting a formula. It's worth patenting yeah. a molecule that is something that you guys study, and then that is what's contributing to the marketing and so on. Yes, that's actually a great point. Um, yeah, so patents are difficult. Um, they... I uh, completely agree with you. You know, if it's actual, you know, the model, the molecule or the cocktail of ingredients that you created to um, that better the formula than absolutely patent. But um, a lot of the patents out there in the beauty industry is merely to kind of like mark out territory for different brands, you know, and kind of prevent people like encroaching on their space. But it doesn't necessarily mean that um, I guess it's all that novel if that makes sense. Sure. Now, the other thing is, is that I've always wondered because, you know, you, you, do you have a skincare background? Like, do you work on skin or is it something where you guys see something on paperwork and you're like, okay, this is a base formula and we're going to end up working with these actives. And so everything's kind of in theory, it feels like when you're formulating. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so, Gloria and I, our backgrounds are, we're actually chemical engineers. We learn most of our, yeah, we learn most of our, you know, cosmetic chemistry um, within L'Oreal. So, um, and L'Oreal is a great company in that, you know, they definitely put a lot of effort behind, you know, the R&D side. Um, So we learned a lot. And as a skincare chemist, not only do you um, formulate, but, um, at least like in L'Oreal, what they also conduct like um, internal studies, consumer studies to test out these formulas. Well, and I had just read there's an incubator with L'Oreal that they're joining with Ubiome to look into the microbiome of skincare. And mm-hmm. I mean, what, what do you think about that? Because the biome has been like a buzzword lately in the industry yes. and just yes. getting to market. Absolutely. So what are your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, so um, actually, we think the field is fantastic. We're really excited about it. We think that um, it's definitely an integral part. Um, However, there is definitely a lack of understanding. Um, It's so right now, the general consensus is that the biome is studying the diverse, like, flora of your skin. So that includes bacteria, fungi, and viruses. And um, by this, kind of like balance of all of these microorganisms um, definitely plays a key part um, in the overall health of the skin. So that's the general understanding. But um, right now we're still in the midst of like mapping out, you know, that flora and like really understanding what this means, you know, and it's different um, um, amongst like different skin types. So because of that, like, 
how we approach this balance um, does play a key part in overall skin health. And, you know, but we're still in the midst of mapping out that flora. And so, you know, the, do we know the method of, of how to like really treat and, you know, cultivate this flora? No. So a lot of the probiotic skincare out there is still relatively rudimentary. Um, okay. And so, um, are we jumping, are Gloria and I like jumping at the idea of making a probiotic skincare currently? No, like we're still waiting. So we have, we have Gloria on. I'm so sorry. Uh Okay, great. Everyone, I'm sorry. All my listeners like have people coming in and out. Today's kind of crazy. We're having a lot of technical difficulties. So please bear with us and thank you. So um, I'm sure you've been able to hear what's going on. So if you can just chime in on, on some of this, this would be great. (laughs) Sorry for the delay. Um, I was awkwardly screaming in the background, cheering Victoria on. <laughs> oh, good. But right. you're in the UK right now, so you're you you're in crazy time zones and everything too. So thank you very much for joining. No problem. Um, so what what are your thoughts on the microbiome in in skincare and so on? Uh, I we are very excited about the field in general, but we just um. Right now, I want everyone to know that I think sometimes in skincare, there's a difficulty of the chicken and egg question. Um, interest and buzz leads to more funding and time and research, and mm-hmm. it, it leads to more, it leads to better products. But on the, at the same time, people can't wait to push products out there claiming microbiome benefits and just know that it's a very early field. And not all of the products out there that claim to benefit really have all the benefits they claim because we still don't have a complete and, uh, understanding of the field yet. Typically, um, you know, uh, the ingredients are used are like the bifida ferment lysates and like the lactobacillus lysates, like those kind of like, um, there, you know, and the idea is that by using kind of like the runoff of these like culture, um, like bacteria, this fermented bacteria, like those, that's like what's being put in the products currently. And, you know, there is data behind, you know, showing that um, it can, you know, help soothe skin, but the, is there any sort of link to the microbiome? Like not yet, you know? Okay. And those aren't a lot of probiotics that you take orally anyway, too. Yes. Yeah. Right. And that goes to those those fields, um, including beauty, they're all kind of interconnected. Um, we um mm-hmm. beauty bars are nutraceuticals all the time and vice versa. And um something that we struggle to in skincare is some of the um hottest extract and whatnot. The data uh, the data that shows that these ingredients benefit you may from maybe from oral injection and how it does for you topically, like who who knows, you know. Mm, okay. But you also bring up a really good point um, as far, Gloria, as people rush products to market and it's really difficult in the U.S. because there's no regulations. The FDA is not watching any of this. Um, and it's only the claims that people are having to worry about because even because there was another company called Aobiome that I knew mm-hmm. and they had mm-hmm. all of this as a medical device and they're like, oh, we can't bring this to market and eventually they came to market as mother dirt but really all they had to do was remove the claim so it's right. it's all these consumers are talking about their skin getting wrecked and you're saying it's because people are rushing products to market I mean I wonder if there's another issues with their skin that's part of the issue with the ecosystem and on the business side of it too it's um Usually, like Victoria said, they might borrow from claims from hot new fields like microbiome without having necessarily the data to substantiate its claims in relation to microbiome just yet. But at the same time, not um, these ingredients may have demonstrate benefits or safety in a different category. But because that's not the buzzword right now, they borrow from the buzzwords. You know, uh, uh, does that make sense? Yeah. To your point about aerobio, it's um. Um, the FDA definitely has its plate full right now. Cosmetics is not regulated. And a lot of times, even companies who want to come out with, say, medical devices and other more regulated, I mean, medical devices, another Pandora's box. But at the same time, um, you're not necessarily rewarded for that either. Because if you want to start registering for a medical device right now, you're going to miss a whole train about CBD microbiome completely. So you're kind of pressured to release it early as well. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Well, it's just the safety that is what I'm worried about, though, with consumers, because I'm having, as an esthetician, to repair skin all the time, which we'll get into right. in a minute when right. I talk about ingredients. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so uh, Victoria, what, what do you think is the most difficult thing to formulate? Ooh, sunscreens and some of the high and very level active serums. Oh, do you agree with that, Gloria? Sunscreen, yes, for sure. And um, also what Victoria said, um, with actives, but not stable actives, the classics will be retinol and vitamin C. Mm, okay. Yeah, because they're super active. Now, just to be clear, you guys both started a line. Um, and why would you all decide to enter into an already crowded category? Uh, let's start with you, Victoria. Um, you know, I think part, part of a chemist dream is like always to kind of make formulas that you want to make. And I think okay. for Gloria and I, the very important thing was to make things that weren't, that either could be done much better or is not out there yet, you know, or else there's no point of us putting out another product out there, you know? Okay. Yeah. What would you say has been your greatest obstacle in general? Ooh, in terms of bringing a product to market? Yeah. You know, the funny thing is it's not so much the formulation. I think it's, you know, it's all of the other stuff. You know, the packaging we've done, we did it in-house together, um, which we don't know anything about. Uh, (laughs) The operation side, bringing all of that, you know, out and how to figure out the distribution and also the communication. You know, how do we um, communicate you know, our strategy behind our line, because that's actually one of the, one of our bigger hurdles um, um, is that, you know, go figure, we're not so great at marketing. And so there's a little bit of a learning curve that comes with our moisturizing strategy. But you have a huge following on Instagram. So you kind of were ahead of the curve on your marketing. I guess it's just that I guess Gloria and I never really started out I don't think we started out with the idea to make products. So, you know, the, the Instagram was more to just, you know, talk about skincare um, and kind of share some of our industry insider knowledge with that. So, you know, to be a company that is now making products, um, it's, it definitely, we don't, we love like what the Instagram is and we just are trying to find a way to like keep those two separate. It's not, is even possible. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, because yeah. it's also kind of a conflict if you've got other brands that you're pointing exactly. out their ingredients. Exactly. It's kind of tough. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I get it. Tell me about your uh, division called the Hatchery. Uh, you know, yeah. like what what is that, and has it helped you learn the difference between the theory of a formula and what's out in the real world? <laughs> yeah, so the Hatchery is our product development incubator we just started. Um, we basically um, are trying to involve some of our followers who are extremely knowledgeable and kind of include them in the product development process. Um, so we just completed our first one, which was um, they had to kind of try out two of our cleanser formulas. Um, and how has it helped us? I think. Um, you know, this is actually something that we've, um, we typically do have done at L'Oreal as well. Um, but for us, it's always like the, you know, having another, all these other outside opinions help us because between Gloria and I, we only have two faces that are using all of these cleansers. And, um, you know, so just bringing in all of these people and their opinions um, has been not only a lot of fun, but just we, they pick up on these awesome details um, that we may have overlooked. So it was, it's great. We're going to do another one in hopefully a couple weeks. So how do people yeah, get involved so in your hatchery? We have a link um, for them to sign up and we can, uh, will select Based on based on their um their skin type, their age, and their geographic location, we'll send them a follow up if we think a study sees them. Um, right now we are at capacity because it, it was people people <laughs> love the idea. We have more people sign up than we can plausibly involving studies right now. But once we can grow in capacity, we'll have the link out again on our website so people can sign up. Excellent. And the goal is definitely to like send it out to as many people as we can. We just, right now, it's 
basically a three people team and it's a little difficult to um send it out to a thousand people so we're trying to and and <laughs> yeah so we really like finding out is actually um how accurate our perceptions are because having worked in the industry for so long your opinion gets corrupted actually because you you don't experience a product like a regular consumer anymore like you pick up things that most people wouldn't notice so sometimes it's hard to, for us to judge a formula with a blank slate yeah yeah no, and it seemed like that because it's it's like i always wondered when you're deep within like especially like a corporation it's just like how much of it is just everything's on paper versus uh, you know, because people out in the world are not saying, oh, I'm having this reaction. They just stop buying the products and the company never gets that feedback. So on a smaller scale, you guys are getting that firsthand feedback, which has got to be kind of pretty awesome for you guys. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Definitely. And I think the thing yeah. for us that I've learned, like leaving the industry is, you know, before texture of a formula used to be so important you know, like making sure that, you know, they, they have all these like sensorial qualities that you'll look for. But I found that like, you know, maybe it's also a product of like how the market is evolving and how customers are evolving as well, where like everyone's looking for efficacy now. And um, I think the texture is like less of a issue. And that's something that at least for me was like a real realization as we're like doing the hatchery and like creating these products too cool our our followers they you know they are just so supportive of that educational piece and we value that part so much and we're trying not to corrupt that part as best we can yeah well our our, our second guest actually kevin james bennett actually adores you guys so i just knew that if you've made it through his litmus test that you're you're <laughs> you've already won half the battle <laughs> He is awesome. You know, I'm just only, I, I wish we knew him earlier because that he's hilarious and I just love how real he keeps it. So that's great. <laughs> well, but he's knowledgeable. He, he happens to be funny, yeah. but he's very knowledgeable and he's not yeah. afraid to point things out. And that's what I kind of am drawn into by you. And I think your, your future consumers and our listeners are also going to identify with is that you do have a way to say, Hey, listen, like you caught me when, you mentioned here's drunk elephant and you're like, Hmm, silicones. Okay. Silicones are okay with you guys. <laughs> I was like, Ooh, wow. Okay. Well, interesting. Which we'll talk yeah. about that here soon. Yeah. I don't, I don't think we were expecting what that turned into right, Gloria. <laughs> yeah. God, that was. That opens a whole thing with the natural group and how people mm -hmm. define that. So as chemists, you're going to define that differently than, someone from EWG or any other group. It's so okay. personal to a lot of people. Do you now have a different perspective on these brands now that you have your own? Even from the get-go, we try to maintain a pretty neutral voice, right? A lot of people, sometimes a few of our followers will come through our decodes as personal reviews, but that's not really what it's meant to be. So we just try to we just try to point out um, certain key ingredients and um and present the information we think people should know for them to make a good decision about a brand. And our channel has always been kind of playful and neutral. Since we started, we do, for the most part, we do appreciate the difficulties of marketing and talking to people and making the sciences digestible. The one thing that, at least for me, I definitely haven't changed on is I still find those really really foo-foo-y, almost supernatural claims hilarious and I think very fashionable. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> I want to fire off an ingredient round and if each of you guys could take turns and just answering questions about these ingredients unless you want to pass it to someone else. Um, so um, first of all, what is niacinamide and why is it in so many Asian skincare products? Niacinamide, okay, I'll take this one. This one is one that we talk about a lot. Niacinamide is also, um, it's an MI form of vitamin B3. It's in so many Asian products, mostly because it helps with whitening. And um, in Asian culture, um, everyone wants that flawless, um, glassy skin, and pigmentation is a big issue in, skin, uh, in Asian skincare. So that's why I think everything. And the reason why it's... It, um, 
Instrument whitening product is not necessarily just for its whitening um, properties. It's because it's a good multifunctional ingredient. It also helps boost your barrier function and provides long-term um, long-term long-term moisturization properties. And this helps a lot when you use other uh, other harsh ingredients like say retinol. It has been clinically shown to reduce retinol irritation. So it's just an ingredient that's helpful and useful in everything. And on the formulation side, it is also really easy to just toss it in because it's very water soluble. So a lot of times it's a no-brainer to just say, okay, let me drizzle in some niacinamide and make this whole um, formula better. So, yep. I think a lot of marketing claims do like, um, they kind of, in the ingredient list, the niacinamide is actually the big player to give them those claims. Mm, Even though they don't call it out. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so next subject, have you guys studied CBD in skincare? Um, is it hype? <laughs> and what should people be looking for? Yeah, uh, no, we, we, no, we haven't really looked too much into this. Um, it's definitely a lot of hype, um, but potential, there's also a lot of potential and a lot of money is being dumped into the research behind it. So uh, again, it's also another category where and I are kind of like waiting around to hear more research on. Interesting. The Chinese FDA had reported a couple of years ago that one in four beauty masks had banned steroids in them. They were hidden. And so a lot of that ends up coming from Korea, South Korea, and apparently even earlier in this decade, there were actually a lot of different companies that had hidden steroids um, in their skin creams, and they tend to be in brightening or calming or other types of products. So they're all hidden in there. So my, my question to you guys is, should consumers in general be concerned about this? Because I don't think this is something like a bigger company would do, like L'Oreal or Estee Lauder. Right. I mean, and to your point, this is something where um, going for a big company um, type like a L'Oreal Estee products have those benefits because it is highly unlikely that these people will be negligent about the um, or yeah. or downright um, putting illegal substances in their product. And we 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 see this. It's definitely something you should be concerned about if you're buying, say, an import product off of um, Amazon or wherever. Because just know that it's highly unregulated and you can't really say mm-hmm. one way or another that it doesn't have these substances in there okay yeah because it's just something that it might it's on my radar now again <laughs> and I, mm-hmm. I'm starting to see skin that um, when customers go off of certain skincare products they're having sores and sensitivities that would happen with steroid use so it's it seems like it's sneaking back into stuff but I I like you guys are saying I don't think you're going to find that in the bigger brand products. I feel like it's going to be in more of the independent brands. And especially with it, so with the internet, it's so easy to buy stuff from God knows where now. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's, it is really hard to um, be be mindful that uh, these really cheap math alternatives you can find on just by Googling, you don't know where it's coming from, and it is a real concern. Yeah. Um, here's another weird thing. What are your thoughts on consumers using coconut oil, coconut oil as sunscreen? No, Ooh, don't do it. Stop. <laughs> Stop what you're doing. <laughs> work and and step away. No, on top yeah. of that, drop um, the coconut, coconut oil. oils tend to be more comedogenic. So if you're worried about acne, that's also not a great idea. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> coconut oil should not be used for skincare period unless it's body in my my opinion because yeah, right. you're right yeah. the realize that it, yeah of all the oils it has one of the highest um rates of comedogenicity which yeah it, yeah it's the culprit behind breakouts that that solves that so forget even sunscreen it shouldn't be on your face Excellent. Um, And then the last really tough one is I'm noticing that consumers are starting to go on YouTube and forums like Reddit and complaining about reactions to hyaluronic acid. Um, I've even read where like fragmented proteins and hyaluronic acid can cause inflammation. What do you know about this? So it's unlikely that they're reacting to hyaluronic acid itself. Um, Mm -hmm. 
But again, it depends on where they're buying them from, from reputable brands or from Hyaluronic Atoms at $3 a pack from Amazon. That's when quality definitely matters. Um, mm-hmm. And what's irritating them might be the rest of uh, the formula. We don't know. Mm-hmm. And to your point about segments, their hyaluronic acids are usually really large molecules. And there's an anti-aging trend of claiming to use much smaller segmented versions of hyaluronic acid um, to help penetrate and give you that plump. And oh, sometimes when those segments get too small, that's when you have pretty bad reactions because these um, smaller molecules of hyaluronic acid can be sensitizing. That's usually it. So you you would advise that if someone's claiming that they have like smaller molecules, be careful because they might create a reaction. Right. So yeah. usually um the, the the going to like the numbers, if it's smaller than fifty thousand K Daltons, then it's more likely that you will have an unpleasant reaction from it. Um but no one no one out there is really putting that kind of number on the bottle. So if they claim anti aging claim small molecules, just be a little bit more cautious. Okay. No, that's helpful. Thank you. I'd like to go ahead and open up questions. Courtney that's on the line. Uh where are you from? Springfield, Missouri. Ah, welcome. Thank you for calling. You're welcome. Okay, so here's my question. I mean, I love hearing about all of the biomes and super science stuff, but I actually have a question that's a little bit more low tech because I just would love to get your opinions on essential oils and skincare Ooh. because... I get asked about it all the time. This isn't about me, but I have a skincare boutique. Mary knows about it. Anyway, I get asked about essential oils all the time. And, you know, they're popping up in everything, even dermatology brands, um, you know, mm-hmm. obviously the natural brands. People are making their own. There's like this cult of essential oils thing going on. And I'm generally not for putting essential oils like directly on the skin or on the face, but I just, I don't really have a clear answer when people ask me about putting essential oils in their skincare and are some better okay. than others or that kind of thing. Ah, um, so first of all, you are correct that you should never put undiluted essential oils on the skin. It, it's pretty harsh and can be sensitizing. Um, and they're usually there for scent. I don't, I wouldn't say expect any miracles from them. I know some brands out there kind of claim anti-aging, anti-biz, like all these great benefits. They're not, for the most part, they're not going to be delivering the same level of efficacy as, say, the retinols. Um, in terms of um, so if some are better than others, there's a few. So essential oils can be personal. One of the biggest risks of essential oils is that because it's such a blend of unique chemicals, it can be very sensitizing to the end user. We have followers who basically avoid essential oils at all costs because a lot of essential oils can be sensitizing. And a big category to call out is the citrus, uh, the citrus ones like bergamot, yeah, um, grapefruit, orange, they tend to, um, citrusy essential oils smell great. That's why they're really prevalent. But they're in level, everything. They, they smell so they're good. They're everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. They smell great, but they can lead to um, issues like photosensitivity, which makes you make your skin more easily damaged by the sun. Um, and they can go bad themselves pretty fast. And that's, um, those are the ones that um, I, I will avoid or like be a little bit more cautious about. But beyond that, anything with essential oil should be patched test because some essential oil blends can cause pretty bad, um, bad reactions just in terms of allergies. But that's, again, that's personal. So beyond that, okay. again, like I wouldn't expect miracles from them. <laughs> okay. So if, I guess then if somebody doesn't, get reactions like for me when I put anything essential oil on my face or even worse my neck I break out in these like gigantic zits everywhere disgusting it's like Uh chicken pox but if you (laughs) don't get that reaction as long as they're diluted into a formula like it's okay I guess then if you're not having a bad reaction yes exactly and they should be fairly diluted like definitely nothing over 5%. A lot of times it's actually in there under 1% is completely um, enough. Okay. 
Okay. I think um, the only thing I would add is um, tea tree oil is kind of that one special essential oh, right. oil that, um, yeah. you know, has shown to have like antimicrobial properties and it's kind right. of, you know, always a nice like kind of booster to people who care about like um, oily and acne. Um, there's definitely yeah. okay. data behind that. That's like really the only one special instance um, that essential oils really has any sort of science backing. Okay. Thank you. That was a great question, Courtney. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think about these things a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we have Alice that's in New York. She says she has dark skin and she just found out about, about an expensive doctor line that's catering to dark skin. She said, aside from seeking cocoa and shea butters to keep her from being ashy, does she really need a skincare line that's specific to her skin tone, skin tone or is it just marketing? Hmm. I, I would say that's more marketing and the only time there would really be any difference is sunscreen. Um, and then the other part would be pigmentation actives. Um, sometimes you need for darker skin people, it's um, something to go about like just really, um, I guess, really small baby steps um, in terms of, you know, any sort of pigmentation issue. Um, but yeah, okay. sunscreen is the one where like people, we get a lot of, um, of our followers asking how do they can find a sunscreen that helps with, you know, prevent that kind of like, um, I guess like that white cast. And I, mm -hmm. I have that issue too. Um, so we tend to actually recommend chemical sunscreens um, to kind of avoid that problem. A lot of the chemical sunscreens with the zones, I call them the zones, they end up breaking out a lot of people. So I, I tend to tell people to go for more of the physical blocks versus that but yeah. you're right with dark skin it's like what do you do it's, yeah exactly that's yeah and we also tell you know um those who are struggling with acne to go for the minerals as well um but mm -hmm. if you just like you know you need sunscreen protection and i hate like the white cast so i take that risk okay yeah. Well, thank you for that. Um, then we've got Heather, also in New York. She keeps reacting to products. She's so sensitive now uh, about the only thing she can wear is Vaseline. What do you suggest? Mm. That's <laughs> definitely a rough problem, and we feel for her. Um, yeah. I'm not sure what all she has reacted to before. Um, we suggest definitely go to your derm and get a patch test. It's easier to narrow down the ones you are you are definitely allergic mm -hmm. to and you have a clear list of what you avoid and we can tell you that for the most part um honestly it's what what she should avoid can be pretty personal there are lots of brands out there that market for sensitive skin individuals and they avoid quote-unquote like no-nos bad ingredients that can be bad for you but a lot of times what people find uh, end up finding out what's really irritating them can be surprising so definitely suggest that, and it sounds like what she's um, sensitive to is something very common if she's had a reaction to almost everything. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, we well, if she wants to ever shoot us an email for us to kind of decode and kind of narrow down direction where she should go, and we would love to help. Ooh, that's yeah. a great idea. Thank you. Hard, yeah, it will be hard, kind of hard for us to make a radio diagnostic without seeing what she's reacted to before. Do you narrow down ingredients for people? Yeah, so people, um, we have a couple who are in kind of like the same boat as her, and that's our go-to question. It's like, you know, what are you currently using? What have you used before? And then try to see what's the common pr troublemaker, I guess. Okay. Interesting. Well, thank you. And I, I think it's also a good idea just to get those tests done with the dermatologist. People like to do a lot of their right. self Dr. Google and everything else, and they just forget, hey, I could be going to a dermatologist. So thank you for reminding everyone that that is a source and a tool and they don't just inject. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. So, um, so Sarah in Pittsburgh says she's stuck in a parade right now for uh, St. Patrick's Day. So she said she's always had eczema. And just when she finds something, she likes a formula changes. She says, why do companies keep changing their formulas all the time? And what would you suggest also for mature skin with eczema for anti-aging? Because not only does she have to now combat eczema, but she also has to worry about aging. Um, that's a great question. So, um, yeah. 
It is a great question. Um, I So typically for eczema, um, we are a little bit hesitant to um, recommend just because, you know, we feel like it's actual a skin condition and a doctor should be the best one to kind of sign off on her routine. Um, mm-hmm. um, but um, with eczema, um, we have seen that um, there's a couple of things that can help. Um, so um, using... Um, actually caring about the pH of your cleanser can help. Um, Mm. And then also um, ceramides are uh, great active to look for. And just making sure you um, incorporate some sort of occlusive, like a a petrolatum into your skincare to make sure skin is like, um, I guess, well protected. Because the issue with eczema is that, you know, your barriers compromise. And so when that happens, you have, um, you're just more prone for allergens to come in and really irritate the skin. Okay. No, that sounds good. And so... For her, um, you said she's um, mature skin, um, wants to look for anti-aging. That part is more tough because a lot of, um, I guess, the typical skincare actives that Gloria and I would recommend, um, they definitely have a higher irritation potential. Um, And, yeah, I I think I'm more hesitant to uh, suggest one. Gloria, do you have one off the top of your head? Well, off the top of my head, um, it's definitely finding one that, finding a sunscreen that her uh, eczema-prone skin can tolerate because yeah. wearing sunscreen mm-hmm. every day is pretty much the best anti-aging treatment you can have. Um, yeah. Of all anti-aging actives, um, I want to say vitamin C or L-ascorbic acid serums out there um, aren't, they, they're relatively gentle compared to the retinols. So um, we will give, give that a go. That's another more preventative measure, and it has skin tone brightening benefits too. Um, and going back to her first question of why do companies change um, ingredients, change formulas on you? Yeah. Uh, well, it, it can happen for a lot of reasons. Um, a lot of times it's probably driven by marketing and, mm. and trends. So a formula might have been okay, and all of a sudden um, – their market demands for this product to go for the all natural or this and that, or a preservative is, has fallen out of grace and they need to change a preservation system. Sometimes you have to change the whole formula to cater to that. And, um, and once in a while you'll get the rare case of a discontinuation of a, of an ingredient and you also have to change base um, around that. So that's usually the main reasons for changing formulas. And a lot of times, um, Formulas become irrelevant. Uh, a, a company might feel like this product is not doing as well, and by reformulating it and relaunching it, it might give a new life. So mm-hmm. that's usually why formulas are changed. Another issue oh, is scale is scalability. Um, maybe the product has grown, and like somehow in the processing, um, it's it's just there. There's a lot of problem problems with the formula, and that can be a prop factor too. Well, that's a good uh, kind of into your ver- view of that. It's just she she had also said, how come the public isn't made aware of it? It's like they have to figure it out themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's kind of hard. And I think in defense in defense of some brands, it's it's hard to let everyone know about it. Most of the times, yes. um, most of the times, I want to say brands don't generally try to hide it because they do make a launch party of it, like new and improved version of this thing or whatever, but because it's an old product that they're trying to drive up, maybe they don't have a lot of budget to put it on blast everywhere. So it can't fly under the radar just because they don't have as much marketing dollars to put behind it. Okay. Well, I'm sure everyone will appreciate hearing that. <laughs> um, I have two more questions. I actually have a guy. Uh, his name's John in Chicago. He likes to grab his wife's beauty creams because he sees a difference in his skin. Um, he wants to know if he should be really using a men's skincare product line instead. Is there really a difference? Great question. Um, no, there's no, I guess the only difference, um, in the only really significant difference between males and, um, female skin is that, um, men tend to produce more oil, um, just because of testosterone. Um, so, you know, um, it's, there's a tendency to, you know, pitch, gravitate towards the lighter formulas. But other than that, all of the actives and those benefits, um, they function all in the same way. Okay. 
Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. We always say listen to your skin. If he loves his wife's skin cream and it works for him, yeah. no, save himself the heartache. Don't don't go on a blind goose chase because I think he's just going to be disappointed. Well, but it's funny because I hear this with other wives. They're like, my husband just used this and I'm out of it and I never know I'm out and I wish he'd get his own. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel for the women. <laughs> Like, get your own. Yes. No, that's what he wants to hear. No, I'm just joking. Okay, that's cool. Well, that's that's interesting. And so um, going back to silicone, Sarah in LA read silicone stretches the pores. Is this true? And if so, why is it in skincare? Oh, uh, silicone, what? a million-dollar question. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, silicone, it's definitely a common misconception. Silicone can work as, um, first of all, it's a very broad category. It comes in all sorts of forms. Of raw materials, you'll see them in waxy forms, in um, kind of a, a, a thick gunk. There's some that's really thin liquid. It just comes in all sorts of forms. I think most commonly people refer to dimethicone when they think of silicone, which can be used as a as an inclusive barrier to seal in the moisture, which which your skin does need. It doesn't clog the pore per se. You know, it, it does sit on your skin and make that barrier. And contrary to popular belief, that barrier is actually a lot more breathable, it's a lot more gas permeable than its organic counterpart. So if you use a wax or a butter to achieve the same type of um, occlusion, then it's more likely that um, it, then that barrier is less air permeable and you might he- feel stuffy and, um, and yeah. So it, it's definitely a misconception. It, it's not necessarily an ingredient for everyone because there are people who uh, whose skin may not tolerate silicone, but silicone, because it's such a sterile, simple ingredient, for those with very sensitive skin, they can definitely be the difference maker because a lot of times with, again, organic waxes and oils, um, some people might find the impurities from processing those ingredients be irritating and may uh, cause some flare-ups. Also, um, silicones can create some really beautiful textures. Um, like the that's kind of I think that's why like it's incorporated into cosmetics and I think um I've always been thinking I, I guess the philosophical question for me is like where did this how did this kind of like um this kind of like stereotype come from and I think it I I'm guessing that it comes from sunscreen because mm. sunscreens, um, they are supposed to create this um, film on the skin. And, you know, the textures of most sunscreens are really yucky. You know, um, they just have that kind of drag and heaviness and greasiness that a lot of people don't like. And so what happens is they um, brand companies will put in a lot of um, silicones into these products. Um, but this is a theory I'm formulating. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of like my two cents on it. Victoria and Gloria, what are your beauty hacks? <laughs> Victoria, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Well, I guess for me, um, kind of running around lately for the um, for chemist confessions, um, I forget to hydrate. So, <laughs> so I actually um, try to always add like um, some electrolytes to like my water. And I found that's actually helped me just like in terms of not just like skin wise, but just lifestyle wise and um, just overall health. And then the other beauty hack, which I actually learned from my sister, not even from um, being in the industry, was way back in the day, I'd use if I had no um, makeup cleanser or I guess like makeup remover and I didn't pack it, um, I actually used Vaseline to kind of like remove the really stubborn eyeliner that I'll huh. use. I used to use Bobbi Brown, that gel. Um, you know, I don't know if you know that one, the pigment. It's like in a glass jar and that is stays on for forever. And so oh. I would just use Vaseline to kind of like rub rub it off and that would come right off. And my eyelids feel don't feel like completely dried out. <laughs> well, it's kind of like a cold cream when you do that too. And I know there's a famous... Uh, dermatologist Dr. Shireen addressed that she also is a huge fan of just Vaseline around the eyes and the skin. So Vaseline, yeah. I don't think is going away. 
<laughs> no, and it should, it should not. It is the gold standard occlusive. Like it should not. <laughs> well, it's it's when people are super sensitive, it seems to be the only thing that certain people can use. So yes. petrol or not, it's around. <laughs> yeah. So for me, um a, a lifestyle one I want to add to the tutorials, I just take two huge tablets of melatonin and get a solid eight hours of sleep when I can. And oh. Yeah, it, it, it helps me a lot. Um, I can't really take other sleeping aids because it just, it affects me too much. Or like knock me out like just horse tranquilizer and it just, it's too much. And I, can't, I wake up so groggy, but just a little bit of melatonin helps me a lot. Especially when we fly around and go to different time zones, um, helps me adjust much faster. Or helps me just sleep the whole flight and wake up ready to go. And um, an actual skincare beauty hack I have is... Um, this, this I've been doing for some time is when you want to do an AHA mask and you're starting to realize your skin is adjusting and the same, like say 10% that you've been using is not quite doing it for you. I would use a mud mask mask, uh, first before I do the AHA mask because this is kind of goes along with the esthetician degreasing your face before uh, a peel. It definitely yeah. it boosts the penetration and the efficacy of what you already have on hand already. And it's not always about just boosting concentration, just about the use experience too. And it's helped me a lot. And because I can't use the retinols without shedding like crazy. So I rely on AHAs for the most part. Oh, interesting. Well, then that that's another question is that do you find that when people have oily skin, that barrier actually becomes a barrier to specific products? Oh, yes, for sure, because it's for vitamin C, AHAs, um, these water-based ingredients, um, it, the oils definitely prevent them from really penetrating and working as well as, the, uh, as, well as it should. That's why cell acid is so important for um, people with oily acneic skin because it's oil-soluble um, or lightly oil-soluble and it can penetrate a little bit better. That's very cool. I don't think anyone talks about that. Yeah, and that's also why they always tell you to clean your face before you apply any treatment. So. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Um, any final advice uh, you'd like to give the consumers or your listeners or your fans? Um, there's lots of noise out there about what's quote-unquote harmful, um, especially with stuff like the silicones and naturals. And I know like sometimes people, you might be relying on your cream for the better part of the past decade and it's been working out great for you and all of a sudden you might hear that oh this uh, silicone is bad for you or petrolatum is bad for you from the internet it might be tempting to throw it out and start over but honestly if it's been working for you just just stick with it good advice yeah listen to your skin that's that's really great advice thank you so much well victoria Fu and gloria lu you survived the hot seat Thank you for taking your valuable time to spend Saturday with our listeners. And I look forward to seeing what the future holds for you and your hatchery and so on. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. My name is Mary Shook, and you've been listening to Beauty GPS in the Raw. I hope Gloria and Victoria were able to help you filter through those marketing claims in skincare so that you can finally figure out what works best for your skin. To find out more about Chemist Confessions and the products and ingredients we discussed today, please visit www.beautygps.com. Also, let us know what part of the beauty and wellness industry you'd like for us to help you navigate. And if you like the show, please make sure to rate us on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to. Beauty GPS is copyright 2019. Beauty by Mary Shook, LLC, all rights reserved.